right. Welcome to Fast Break Breakfast NBA Podcast. My name is Keith here alone for a solo interview episode. Chuck and John will be back next week for a full episode of Fast Break Breakfast. If you want more Chuck and John in your lives, you can go to patreon.com slash fastbreakbreakfast for $3 a month. You can join our Slack chat where Chuck and John will keep you abreast of what they are up to and also give their reactions to the many uh, sports stories, NBA stories, movies, TV shows coming out and all that fun. It's a good community we have there. We have a good time. So if you want to support our show, you can do that over at patreon.com slash fastbreakbreakfast. Today's episode is a it's like a redraft, a re-ranking of the 2017 draft, which we know obviously just occurred. So a couple of hot takes of how it might have changed. I didn't stick with the entire first round because it got kind of tedious and long and no one wants that. So uh, but we did just talk kind of re-ranking the top of the draft and then talk about some other prospects you can check out. And a final announcement. If you write an iTunes review, in the month of August and September. We will read it on air. Any five-star iTunes review, you can plug yourself, plug a, your podcast or your band or whatever, and then it helps us out. So if you write us a five-star iTunes review, we will read it on air and give you a shout-out. My guest today is an attorney a CBA enthusiast, an NBA draft analyst, a contributor at thestepback.com, and the host of the What's on Draft podcast, Mr. Cole Zwicker. How are you, Cole? Doing well, man. Trying to meander through this kind of dead zone of the offseason. August is always pretty rough, so uh, just looking forward to more basketball. Hopefully, uh, you know, training camps open up in September and ready to go. What are you doing to fill this void that is August? Right now, I'm going back over the tape for the incoming 2018 draft. So a lot of the freshman guys, DeAndre Ayton, obviously Marvin Bagley, guys at the top, but also going through the returning sophomores, some sleeper guys, uh, Kamar Baldwin from Butler, just kind of all over the board trying to formulate opinions and get everything kind of ready to go and get my database set up and, yeah, just uh, get ready to start scouting, guys. So you are not taking the August off. You are focusing on (laughs) your next year of draft. I don't watch college basketball. I don't follow anything for the draft related until about, I don't know, like the week before the draft. I finally start diving in, trying to learn a few names. Every year or the last like three years, I've been like, you know what? I'm going to start earlier. I'm going to actually learn about some of the draft prospects. But uh, so far, nope, haven't haven't done it. I think that's fair. I mean, it's it's college is tough. It's uh, it's definitely an acquired taste. I'm, a, I'm an NBA guy through and through. I recently watched college probably two years ago. I started watching from the beginning. So, yeah, it's just August is nice to catch up with those guys and update cap sheets and everything. So there is some benefit to it. I've been going back in my August besides watching random movies and TV shows. The bas- <laughs> the basketball I have watched, uh, League Pass is still active where you can go back and watch games from last year. So I've just been going back and watching kind of really random regular season games of normally two lottery teams playing each other. I've been having a lot of fun doing that, just refreshing myself. And I've been watching a bunch of Sacramento Kings games because I'm, I'm a Grizzlies fan, so I'm watching games that Tyreek Evans and Ben McLemore both played. So NBA, don't take away the league pass access. I know they're going to do it prob- <laughs> probably any day. But anyway, hey, before we, we dive in, what we're going to talk about today is we're going to 
do a snap rejudgment of the 2017 draft just a few couple months after it actually occurred using some of the stuff we learned at Summer League and maybe Team Fit based on free agency. But again, before we do all that, we do start off by talking about breakfast. Cole, are you a breakfast man? Kind of, yeah. I mean, I'm just a huge coffee guy, so I'll have like a big mason jar full of coffee in the morning. I just got to get somewhat wired <laughs> and then uh, just basic eggs usually blt sometimes i'm i'm not a huge breakfast guy i don't like anticipate it and look forward to it every morning but uh it does have its benefits yeah it, so you're a, you're a functional you're not a pleasure breakfast eater you're a functional pl- breakfast eater like when needed. absolutely i mean honestly honestly that's that's me as well but i mean big big cup of coffee and eggs that's a that's that's a perfect way to start all right well so looking at this redraft and again you come are going to come from the angle of someone who's more informed, who takes this seriously, uh, who actually studies up on this stuff. I'm going to go with my angle of snap judgments and broad ignorance. But we're, we're going to <laughs> look, look at, again, look, looking at the few things I saw at Summer League and now how teams have shaken out after free agency. Uh, and, I, and, that, and that brings up the point. I've heard some people talking about how they wish the NBA draft occurred after free agency, like the order of the offseason was arranged differently. Like, do you have an opinion on that? It's a really interesting question, kind of like NFL style. I actually like the current system a little bit because it allows teams to kind of commit to their younger guys. Um, we see that like there's five projected rookie starters right now, three definites with Fultz, Ball, and Dennis Smith. Also, Nilakina and Jackson of the Suns and the latter is, are probably going to start just positionally. So it allows teams to kind of carve out roles. I'm not sure if that would be the case if it was the other way around. Does Dallas commit to a Derrick Rose as point guard insurance? Because the draft is so volatile and it's such high variance. You don't know who you're going to get. So I, I like it right now just because it allows teams to have a more like I, I, I'm of the opinion that free agency is kind of an inefficient market for the most part. I know that last year especially is way more inefficient than than this year. But I like the draft. I think that's where you get the value. And whatever structure and order allows teams to really capitalize on that fully, that's what I want the order to be. So I like the current form. I kind of I like the current form as, as well. And I don't know if it's just because that's what I'm used to. But when I hear people say, you know, you want to draft to need and you don't know what your needs are until after free agency, I, I'm with you where I think the volatility of it all, especially with the draft. And I think you made the perfect point, the Dallas Mavericks. You know, like what are they going to do in free agency not knowing who's, who's going to – like they're going to end up with Dennis Smith or, or like the Charlotte Hornets not knowing that maybe a Malik Monk, someone who was probably projected higher, ends up with them. As far as a, re- a re-rank, I'm actually looking at your tiers that you had before the draft printed off from, from your website. And I think, it's, again, as someone who doesn't study college – and only knows it from the perspective of the actual NBA draft and summer league. It is funny because I'm seeing guys that I'm not even that familiar with who are high on your pre-draft ranking and are still high. So when we do this re-rank, I'm happy to, I want to hear your opinion, like, like who you think the team should have taken, but we'll also take the perspective of, you know, like the teams drafted, like the Kings drafted De'Aaron Fox. So we assume they liked him. So again, on, on a re-rank, you know, what do you think, what does Cole Swicker think should have happened? And then what do you think uh, the teams would do if we did it over? All right. So let's still start at the top. Philly took Marco Fultz. Do, do we see any reason to change that? No, I don't. I mean, he is kind of like the post-hype sleeper number one pick for the second year in a row because of injuries. You know, he went out of summer league early. He had some 
decent showings in Utah Summer League and, and flash some stuff. I, I see no reason to move off that point. Uh, he's still the most talented player in the draft to me. And if you consider the college tape, probably more significant as that limited sample Summer League. I see no reason to uh, modify that at all. His fit on Philly is also really tremendous. Do you see any reason that maybe the Celtics would undo their trade to not take him? You know, I, I don't think so. I think that the Celtics, I mean, for me personally, I thought Fultz was in a different tier, of course, than Tatum was as a talent, but they clearly felt like they were in a similar tier. Fultz isn't that transcendent number one pick like Kevin Durant and Anthony Davis. He's just a really solid one. So I, I get their stance as far as we'll move down, pick up an extra pick, potentially next year, top one protected in 2018, and then the Kings pick in 2019, top one protected. I just didn't agree with the talent evaluation. And at the time of that that, that trade was consummated, I thought it was going to be kind of just acquiring an extra asset for a trade. We thought that they were going to move for Paul George to pair with Gordon Hayward and free agency. So when they didn't do that, I thought the trade looked a little worse just because of that talent evaluation straight up with Fultz and Tatum. But yeah, I mean, that's clearly what they think. And I think if they did the draft over again, it would be the same way. All right, so second pick, the Lakers took Mr. Big Baller, Lonzo Ball. Do you think that would change? Oh, no. No, I think that's that was always their guy. Uh, we saw that when they jettisoned Russell attaching Mozgov's bad contract to kind of free up space for him. I think that Ball, just from a schematic uh, fit, dictating pace and transition, he's just that unselfish play, the extra passes. That's how they want to play, so I think that's the same. If you were running the Lakers and we could take out of it the marketing element, the, the, the media market being in Los Angeles, would Lonzo Ball be the guy that you would take as the second pick? You know, that's the strongest team as far as fit-wise for Lonzo. I think that's really close between him and Dennis Smith. I have Smith a little bit higher as a talent overall, but the Lakers are the one team where you look at and you can make an exception just because of the the motion-style offense that they run. I think that Lonzo's a really hand-in-glove fit there. We'll see what they do with free agency. A lot of Lonzo's going to be compatible with a lot more free agents if they're able to add stars next offseason. So that's the more defensible argument, but I do think that Smith is a better talent. Okay, so now moving to the Boston Celtics, who again traded away the top pick uh, and took Jason Tatum on a, on a redraft. Uh, would you take Tatum again? Would you move Smith in here? Or, and what do you think the Celtics w- would do? I think they say they take Tatum again. I think they like his mental construct. He's a really hard worker. He's a really good kid. And he has that whole facade about like being a fourth quarter scorer, being able to create his own shot, which is true to an extent. We'll see what the degree of efficiency is there. I would take Smith. I think that it makes a lot of sense, both in terms of talent acquisition and the fact that you don't have to pay Isaiah Thomas a ton of money next year, even though the market's probably going to be a little bit suppressed. But I just thought that Smith was a better talent. So I would take Smith. I, I think the Celtics would take Tatum. Yeah. So we'll say we'll say for the for the overall redraft so far, everything everything is the same, despite the fact you value Smith higher. So now this is curious. I think this is where I will now differentiate from what actually happened. I'm curious if you will, too. So the Suns with the fourth pick took Josh Jackson. If it's me, I was won over by seeing Jenna Smith Jr. I think maybe they take him there. What, what do you think would happen on a redraft? That's really interesting. Uh, I still think they probably take Jackson because they are so married to Booker at the two. I think that's their building block. Who knows what to do with Bledsoe? If they could consummate a trade with him, maybe they think about Dennis Smith. But in terms of how they view their roster, they needed a defensive-oriented wing. I think they still go that way. But I had Josh, number six pre-draft, moved him down to number seven. So I didn't think he was the best pick available or the best player available. So I thought Josh Jackson, from what I saw at Summer League, he actually was... He was hitting his mid-range jumpers, but it didn't seem sustainable to me 
again, just from a statistical a point that not normally am I seeing a guy hit like a banked 20-footer off the dribble all the time. And he was doing it. Like, do you think he's going to be able to translate that into the NBA? And, and, like, what do you think his offensive role is going to be in the NBA? I mean, he does. He is kind of a shot maker. He makes those pull-up shots that don't look aesthetically pleasing. They don't pass the eye test as far as mechanics and all that. But they go in. That was the same thing at Kansas. My thing is, even in summer league, guys are playing a step and a half off of him. They're going to let him take those shots because – I mean, it's just not an efficient shot unless you're Chris Paul or like one of those elite mid-range shooters like CJ McCollum. That that's not gonna that's not gonna fly. So it depends. Like they really Phoenix really needs to get him on the move, kind of like Kansas did with the ball. He doesn't have a very good first step. So all those dribble handoff actions and weave actions that Kansas ran, that's how you have to kind of use Josh Jackson. But it's really hard to see him becoming a star caliber player if he can't leverage any kind of shooting threat. So yeah, I, my my opinion on him is pretty much the same. It's just can Phoenix? They're notorious for not moving the ball that much. They need to implement more of a system that gets the ball moving, implement Dragon Bender, who's passing, I think, could be an asset. Josh Jackson can pass the ball a lot better than he showed in summer league. So it's going to depend on a couple of fit issues there. All right. The Sacramento Kings took De'Aaron Fox. Uh, redraft, what are they doing? Oh, they're definitely taking Fox. That's their that's their guy. I mean, their their theme across their draft was high character guys. We saw that at basically every pick. Giles, Justin Jackson, uh, Frank Mason in the second round. Like They went all in on character. They're, they're going Fox 100%. And uh, and still, like, it, it, who would you take for them? Even assuming maybe you took Dennis Smith Jr. for, for, for the Celtics. So, like, if you're if you're redoing it, uh, who do you think is is the best fit for them? I don't know. Like, I don't think they're in position really to think too much about fit. Like, they don't have. I mean, Fox right now is their best prospect, but before Fox, I don't think they had like any really promising prospects. I like Willie Cauley Stein. I don't think he's developed defensively like I anticipated. At, I'm not a big Skylar BCR guy, so I probably would have taken Jonathan Isaac there as my top available player. Maybe even Malik Monk, but I understand that, especially for Monk, I mean, they just made that Boogie Cousins trade with Buddy Heald as the primary returning piece, so they're probably not going to commit to the similar position guy. So I would take Isaac. Okay. So uh, so the, the team that did take Jonathan Isaac is the Orlando Magic with the sixth pick. Uh, they're still feeling pretty good about that. They don't have any regrets for anybody like they could have gotten. I think so. I think John Hammond coming in from Milwaukee, that's kind of his MO is taking those kind of length, uh, you know, versatile defenders types. My only issue is that they Isaac and their best current prospect, in my opinion, Aaron Gordon, play the, the same position right now. They both are NBA fours. Maybe if Isaac acquires more strength, he can swing to the five and then you really have something special defensively in the front court. But that's my only issue with that pick. I like the talent. It's just the pick we've seen, you know, Gordon played the three for two and a half years. It took them that long to realize that he's a four. I'm a little worried about um, Isaac's development in that system. I'm worried too. Isaac, one of the few guys I actually saw him play college basketball. I went to Florida state. So I watched a couple of Florida state games and again, the, the fit in Orlando where they seem to have so many front court guys, they, they don't have shooters. He, I think he's gonna be fun with that motor. I, I'm, I'm nervous how he, uh, I'm nervous how he's going to pan out in like, the, the immediate impact he's going to have. I'm not sure it's going to be much, but again, as I said from the start, I, I don't know. I don't know much about these guys. Um, finally, I think we can, we'll have a team that maybe has some regrets. I know their fans have regrets. Uh, the Chicago Bulls, seventh pick took Laurie Markkinen uh, on a redraft. What do you think happens there? Uh, it's so tough. I mean, I don't obviously don't think they should have taken Markkinen. I didn't at the time. I still don't, but the league values like that, established skills shooting from seven footers so much. I think he's probably even still the pick <laughs> crazy <laughs> enough. I mean that that team has so many point guards or guys they think are actual point guards. Chris Dunn isn't a point guard. He's more of a secondary handler type that they have to realize that uh, Cameron Payne is not good at basketball. Like they, they have all these point guards that they've traded assets for that they think can fill that role. 
So I, I think if you actually did it over again, it would probably still be Markkinen, weirdly enough, just because I think that he obviously didn't shoot that well in summer league, and I expect that to improve. Like, he is a, a really deadly shooter, one of the best college big man shooters of all time. I, I just don't agree with it. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to disagree. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to write the bulls down for for having regrets. I, I think I'm going to I'm going to give him Dennis Smith Jr. here because of the fan outrage if they held the draft right now uh, after summer league. Um, so we'll uh, for the record, we'll put Markinen back in the draft pool. Uh, so he, he's 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 available for a, for a later team. If uh, if the bulls didn't take Dennis Smith Jr., um, and the Knicks were on the clock. The, the, the Knicks taking Frank Nielakina, who, again, I've never seen play basketball. Do you think with Phil Jackson no longer in charge of the team, would they take, you know, a Dennis Smith Jr.? Or, or, or who else is left in the pot that they would take? Or would it be Nielakina again? Yeah, when you set this question on the outline, this is where the draft started to change for me just because okay. of Phil's, depa- Phil's departure. Uh, I do think there was – you get the reports from, like, Ian Begley, who's a really reputable uh, Knicks reporter, that, you know, there was – some mixed opinions about who they should take. Uh, Donovan Mitchell was in that discussion. Uh, I do think that Dennis Smith probably would have won out from a talent perspective because Neil Aquino was Jackson's triangle guy. I don't know, though, because Smith didn't give the Knicks, apparently, like his medical information, which is really, really important upon selecting these guys. He obviously did not want to be a member of the Knicks. He wanted to fall to a much better scheme fit at Dallas. But, yeah, I, I still think that if it fills out of the picture, they probably go highest upside here, and that's Dennis Smith. Um, what is it? We, we've spoken a lot, obviously, about Dennis Smith Jr. He's one of the guys who made the biggest impacts at Summer League, got people excited. Uh, a guy who talked about this is one of the big potential future building blocks in the league who fell in the draft. I, I was at Summer League. I saw him play. I, th- I thought he was really good. But again, I'm not a scout. What was it explicitly about his game that made everyone say like, oh, wow, like maybe the Bulls, maybe the Knicks really missed on this guy? I just think he's an electric athlete. And when you compare that with this skill combination, you just don't see those kinds of athletic lead guards come in the league that often. They can shoot respectably well, uh, be three level scorers and really finish at the rim for us. The, for guys like me who have watched them a ton, it was more just like seeing someone like that. I anticipated this, but the, the improved spacing, like he played with terrible spacing at NC state with minimal surrounding talent. So there was a lot of restriction as far as his driving lanes. If you open up the floor, I think that really frees up his overall game, but more so it was just like, he was so apathetic at North Carolina state, as far as defensively, uh, he didn't seem like he was trying all the time. It was a really bad situation. And his report, like his whole persona pre-college was like this hyper competitor, his favorite, uh, NBA players like Chris Paul, he has that competitive edge. And we kind of saw that again in summer league, you know, he took these matchups really personally, like Chris Dunn, um, Lonzo ball. So it was good to see him like get up for big moments and, and then produce, because that's something that we really worried about. Like, is this guy going to actually try on both sides of the floor? Is he going to try to defend? And he did, he did do those things. So it's nice to see that. And that was my biggest takeaway and what flashed for me. So do we think that those character concerns that were rumored about him, are they just alleviated just by the, the strong summer league showing? And now everyone's like, yep, well, we made, we made a mistake. No, I, I never thought that he really had like, red flag character concerns. I don't think he's a bad kid. I think he's actually a pretty good kid that just got in a bad situation. And, you know, it's more of like a a translatability thing to the floor. Is he going to try to defend? And he admitted (laughs) in his draft interview when he, when he was on, after he got selected by the Mavericks that he he doesn't know how to defend. Like he's never been taught how to play defense. So, I mean, that kind of honesty is going to go a long way with somebody like Carlisle. So I don't think there was any, there was never any like red flag concerns about like him as an actual person. It was more how it translated to the NBA floor uh, your motor, your defensive energy, 
and those are still huge question marks. And Summer League is not going to answer basically any questions about defensive consistency or anything like that. So th- those are still issues. But I think he did a little bit to remedy just that overall uh, consensus thought from a lot of the mainstream media that this guy just doesn't care. And th- I, I think that was always kind of false. Okay, so he was the real-life pick of the Mavs at 9. I'm pretending the Bulls stole him at pick 7. If the Mavs had to pick somebody else, uh, who would you have them taking? I think they probably go Nilakina. They see some point guard upside in him, which is probably fair. I, I'm more. I have my reservations about if he's actually like a one-five pick and roll lead guard, and that's like the Maverick system. They love to spread the floor out and just run heavy, heavy pick and roll. And I don't think that's necessarily Nilakina's game. I think he's more of a two in that system. But you know, you, you hear the reports that Mark Cuban flew over there, met with them, and stuff like that. I think they had a lot of interest. Well, what if I I had penciled in Nilakina still to the Knicks at eight? I don't know. Do we, do we give them some, someone else? We can't give them someone else. Yeah, okay. Uh, we can do that. I think um, maybe Donovan Mitchell then, if, if that's okay. the case. I, yeah. I think they go for that wing, even though I don't think he's a point guard and that's who they, they, they need. He's more of a, he's definitely more of a two, three uh, wing player. So, But given Summer League, if we can use that yeah. as a benefit of hindsight, yeah. that's yeah. definitely who they would take probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mitchell was great. All right, so, 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 so the Blazers at 10 took Zach Collins. Um, you had him ranked pretty high in your pre-draft ranking. Do you still think they feel good about that? I do. I think that they had Neil O'Shea on one of the games on one of the broadcasts and he was, he's really like upfront and frank about things. And yeah, I think he pretty much noted that Zach Collins is a little bit away as far as physically, like he's It's going to take him time to acclimate to better athletes, to develop physically. Those are things we knew, but maybe the degree of that is more than we thought. Like, I think it's going to take him a little bit longer to, you know, add enough strength, add enough physicality, uh, definitely learn how to pass. That's That was my biggest reservation with him is he's just not a very good playmaker. He's basically a finisher right now. And in that Portland system, they need more facilitation, especially in the pick and roll play, because otherwise CJ and Dame will just get trapped in these actions. So th- it's a little bit farther off, but I still think that he has the highest upside of any big in this class. They also uh, should be said traded up to get that pick. I didn't say, I didn't see a lot of Collins. My, my gut instinct, and we're going to talk about this in a little bit, uh, your rankings of Bam out of bio. My gut instinct would be like, if I'm getting a big, like for Portland, I th- felt like Bam was more dynamic and, and interesting, but I see you don't like him very much as, as a little, as a, as a look ahead, but we'll get to that in a second. So let's say, let's say the Blazer stick was Zach Collins. Next on the clock was the Pistons who took Luke Kennard. What do you think would happen there? Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, if Mitchell went to the Mavs at nine, I think that Mitchell would be the pick here if he was still available. I think he would he would uh, jump up a spot just from seeing him in summer league. I thought he should he was a better talent than Kennard in my opinion. But if he's off the board, I think I think they still probably go Kennard with that established skill shooting. I mean, we see NBA teams they they want those guys that they know can do something in the league. And Kennard is a guy that's going to knock down shots on spot up situations. We'll see how good he is off screens. If he can be like, become like a Redick type and really sprint off screens, square up and shoot quickly. I think that's going to be where he wins because he's not going to bring much defensively outside of some IQ uh, as a team defender. And I I don't really believe in the creation stuff translating. So overall, I think they probably go Kennard if Mitchell's off the board. Um, and, and I mean, obviously, since they took Kennard, if it was you being in charge, you're probably going to take Monk there or maybe one of the other guys left in the draft. Oh, I totally forgot about Monk. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, he's, kind of, he's, he's, he's kind of an afterthought. Yeah, yeah. I think that if Monk's there, they'd probably take him. He, I mean, he clearly has the higher upside. I don't think I don't know how you argue that. He's a better shooter. He's a better off screen shooter than Kennard is because of his speed. So, yeah, let's go Monk. <laughs> OK, that's that, that's fair. I know you're probably doing this off top of your head. Uh, it's, it's definitely hard to keep track of, of all these guys. The um. 
looking at the Jazz, so so the Jazz did pick uh, Donovan Mitchell at thirteen. In our exercise, we're pretending uh, he jumped up. So, uh, so so who do you think the Jazz might take here? Obviously, I think they're feeling very good about that pick after summer league. Yeah, if he's off the board, I don't think they make that trade. I think that's the easy answer. I mean, they traded up because they saw an opportunity to land a rotation player, and that was always what Mitchell was going to be from the off. He just has a really high floor as a two-way player. So do they part with Lyles um, and the 24th bit to move up? I don't think so. I think that's prob- this is probably Denver. Maybe Denver takes OG and Anobi because that's apparently who they wanted trading back, and then Toronto took them uh, took OG a spot ahead. I was really high on OG, so maybe let's just pencil him in here. I think that I guess that, that's a great plan. Uh, I think Denver, who failed the draft with the most horrific, uh, you know, performance possible, by one giving them, giving the rival a really good prospect, and then trading back, not getting the guy they wanted, apparently settling on Tyler Lydon, who uh, had a very terrible summer league. So I think that's good. Yeah. Well, so we we can even pretend Denver stays there uh, and takes OG Ananobi. All right. The Miami Heat, they had a guy, they drafted Bam Adebayo, who I was floored by at Summer League, just impressed with the way, you know, the way he moved on the court and especially the way he moved with the basketball. However, um, so far, we don't have him jumping up on a redraft. I saw the Ringer did a redraft of the lottery after Summer League. They didn't think Adebayo would even still be in the lottery. And then I'm looking at your rankings from your website, and you don't have him ranked very highly even after Summer League. Uh, why do you hate Bam Adebayo? <laughs> I wouldn't say I hate him, but it's, it's just a tough player archetype to fit into the modern game. I like his fit in Miami, especially off the bench, playing next to someone like Kelly Olenek, because he'll he'll stretch the floor. Bam can run as like the pick-and-roll dive guy. I just don't know exactly what he does. I realize that he can like grab and go in summer league, but really those positions didn't really amount to anything. He just really dribbled up the court, usually casted like a contested floater and got fouled because you know summer league defense is bad. So I don't think he's going to be given the freedom to do that kind of stuff. It was really nice to see that skill because Calipari is not going to let him you know evolve as a player. I mean, he's a very rudimentary role at Kentucky. So I get that people were kind of like, oh, this guy can actually dribble at high speeds. It's really impressive. And he made some fluid mid, uh, mid-post turnarounds and stuff like that. He also airballed a ton of shots. There's no really evidence that he can shoot the NBA three. So I, I get that watching just him physically, he's he's kind of a specimen. But when you look at what he actually contributes specifically to an NBA basketball team, he's not a great he's not, he's not a good interior defender. He's more of like a perimeter guy who can switch a little bit, slide. I get the appeal there. I just don't know what he's really bringing to you in a high level role. But if you're in like the 14 to 20 range in a normal draft, you're looking for just maybe a rotation player potentially. And I think he can be that. I just don't see much upside with him. That's fair. I, I do get a little uh, beside myself when I see a big man dribbling and just, you know, it's like love, oh, at, yeah. first, it's love at first sight. And he's so big, like he's so muscular. He's got like Dwight, Dwight Howard shoulders. And just when he got a rebound and took off trouble on the court, I was like, what? Like that, that seems like it'll translate in <laughs> somehow, but I, but I don't know if it is just like a backup kind of, kind of energy big, maybe it'll just turn out, you know, maybe his upside is only uh, like Kenneth Fareed or something. All right, let, let's, let's package the next few of these together uh, to, to look at, um, the draft. So Justin Jackson went to the Kings. Justin Patton went to the Timberwolves. DJ Wilson went to the Bucks. TJ Leaf went to the Pacers. And then John Collins went to the Hawks. For me, John Collins was the guy who summer league obviously made a big impression. He looked like a fantastic finisher, maybe like an Amari Stoudemire light or something where he looked very under control, finished a lot. The other guys I didn't have a huge impression from. If we're redoing the draft, uh, do you think these guys, these teams want to do something different? Or, uh, or which, which guys do you think maybe should have been taken uh, in this stretch? 
the Collins call is good. I think he looked really well, like for exactly the reasons you said, the athleticism, the run and jump kind of lob catching ability. They used him primarily as just a dive guy playing next to someone like Ryan Kelly and similar to Bam. You're going to see him play in that kind of circumstance on the second unit for the Hawks with someone like Mike Muscala, which is a perfect fit. I really like uh, that fit with him. And I think he showed some passing. They never showed at Wake Forest and Budenholzer is going to, you know, be able to extract that to the maximum extent. So I think he would definitely go in that range. I think Jonah Bolden, um, is someone who really showed a lot for the Sixers. I'm not sure if he, he wouldn't go here just because there were so many character concerns at UCLA. But if you're looking at just talent overall, I thought he belonged in this conversation. I did pre-draft, and there's nothing really he did for the, the Sixers just with his athleticism defensively. Kyle Kuzma is another guy who just blew up summer league that <laughs> it's kind of bizarre that someone who can shoot that well aesthetically has that one motion release uh, really fluid off the catch with range. They shot like 30% from three in college and like 64% from the line or whatever he did. It, it's insane, but uh, I'm, I'm not really inclined to buy him fully yet. I'm a little more dubious about the defense, but he warrants based on summer league play. He would warrant discussion in this area. I like guys like Derek white, Jawan Evans, Sterling Brown, but they went to like really optimal fits. Same with Jordan Bell. Like, is he the same player if the Bulls keep that pick than he is, than he will be with the Warriors who bought that pick? I don't, I don't think so. I think he's tailor made for the Warriors system. So there's it's gets dicey in this range. It's really based mostly on opportunity, team fit, player development. What organizations are going to really fully extract the talents of these players? So you can really convince me of basically any kind of order in, in, in this way. And I don't think I look at this draft and say, you know. I, I, I'm going to condemn any team in this range, but guys like TJ Leaf for Indiana, I know they philosophically believe in stretch fours. Stretch fours are kind of outdated. They're like five years ago. Now you need more stretch playmaking fours. I'm not sure if Leaf can bring that. Maybe they go, you know, John Collins o- over TJ Leaf now for a higher upside. Yeah, so uh, let's go over some of those second round names. And again, just doing doing a straight redraft, it will probably we can probably quit with that now and just look at some of these um, late first and these second round guys. And a lot of the guys you just mentioned, um, Jordan Bell obviously was one uh, who made a big name, as you said, because he's on the Warriors and he had that the five by five game at, at summer league. You really think this is a guy who? deserve to be closer to a lottery pick uh, based based on what you saw? Like, do you think that translates? I mean, you kind of said maybe if he goes to the Bulls, it, it doesn't work out. But you just think he has skills that are NBA ready-made and would probably work, you know, like no, no matter where he went? I think he's one of the most NBA ready players in the entire class. I mean, he just has – he's so advanced defensively as far as instincts, understanding – He's really athletic. He can play it. He know, he plays within his lane. He knows his role offensively. He's a finisher. He can really, really pass the basketball. That's something that he didn't get enough credit for coming out of Oregon. I mean, on short rolls and stuff, this guy can really locate like open teammates on skip passes, high velocity passes. I do think it would have translated because he can defend. He's the modern NBA kind of big um, that can you know switch. He can also protect the rim. But he's a niche player. He's a, he's a guy that's a reserve only because of his physical tools. And, yeah, I think if he goes to the Bulls, they're probably not going to use him right. Maybe they play him as, like, a backup four, and he's not going to have the requisite spacing that's going to take to really unleash his passing acumen in ways that it will for the Warriors just because, of course, they they have a glutton of shooters, and he can just operate on short rolls, pick out guys that are going to be on the perimeter. It's an optimal situation for him, but I did feel like, overall, his defense was NBA-ready. Uh, Jonah Bolden, as you said, looked good. He looked very versatile, like a lot of good size. That's one, in retrospect, as a Grizzlies fan, I was kind of wincing about because the Grizzlies took Ivan Rabb right in front of him, and then everyone's like, Jonah Bolden looked as good 
as advertised. Um, t- tell, tell, tell me more about his game and how you think it's going to translate once he uh, gets in the NBA. He, they, the Sixers somehow convinced him to, to go overseas uh, to continue his seasoning there. Yeah, I thought based on talent in like my tier five, starting with pick number 13, I thought he warranted discussion at that 13th spot based on just pure talent. Who knows if he'll get the opportunity because, like you said, the Sixers kept him overseas because they just didn't have any roster space for him. I think, honestly, they're just trying to push back his contract timetable to fill Rashawn Holmes' role if he moves on two years from now and get more contract value there. But, yeah, he, he, this is a guy who – is really athletic. He moves backwards of pick and roll exceptionally well. You saw him you know, like retreat. He's super athletic, protected the rim, chased down blocks, can switch out on the perimeter. Just everything you kind of want from a modern NBA big defensively. And then offensively, he can shoot the three relatively well. Like He's not like a high-efficiency shooter. He takes a lot of bad shots as far as you know, he'll, he'll chuck some. But he does flash interesting passing. So is it like a role-playing big man? I just don't – I never got the – the argument for him not being in that kind of like first round discussion by a lot of guys. And I get the character stuff, but he's apparently gotten better over the last two years away from UCLA. So just, he's just a talent play and he's going to be a talent play. If you're a team, I would definitely look to move for his draft rights from Philadelphia because their front court is just so stacked. This is an NBA player. And I think he can actually be like a legitimate rotation player. All right. And then the other two guys you mentioned were Derek White and Sterling Brown. You had them both pretty high in your pre-draft rankings and you still had them on, on your re-ranks um, in like the uh, 14, 15, 16 range. Derek White, I, I didn't see much from him in summer league. As an, I, I didn't know what he really did. And I'll be completely honest. I have no idea who Sterling Brown is. So uh, so tell me, <laughs> tell me about those guys. I think, this, first of all, it's just they went to optimal team fits. So that uh-huh. it's hard to rank guys in a vacuum like pre-draft because we don't know so many important ingredients that make these guys successful. But Derek White is a guy in San Antonio. This is someone who can shoot off the dribble, can shoot off the catch, can run a secondary pick and roll. He's a really underrated passer. He's a pretty decent athlete. So he just has the overall skill ball level to fit in San Antonio's system. He didn't have a great summer league. He looked kind of frustratingly sped up in some areas. Like this is a guy that's usually pretty under control for his age. You would expect a little bit better. I thought he took a lot of bad shots in Utah um, outside of like one quarter of play where he was pretty dominant. Uh, Sterling Brown is the guy that he's not a sexy pick. He's has borderline NBA wing athleticism. He's probably a little under that threshold of what you'd want, but he's so damn competitive. He has that strong 230 pound frame, 6'10 wingspan. I just thought he was one of the most underrated shooters in the entire class. Like this guy shot like 44% from college three on like not super high volume, but aesthetically he has great form and playing off Giannis. This is exactly the kind of guy that you want next to a Giannis type, someone who will play both sides of the floor and space the floor. So I just think he'll return um, legitimate value in this class. And he was someone who I understand the NBA not being as high on as far as upside. But when you look at what actually contributes to winning basketball, Sterling Brown is kind of of that make. All right. Well, so wrapping up in closing, are there any other later picks that you thought seemed to be especially good in retrospect or any picks that you thought were maybe bad at the time and you now feel certain they're bad at the time? As far as good, I thought the, the Clippers did about as well as you could do in the second round for not owning your own pick, like trading for trading for both Sandarius Thornwell, who had his good moments in summer league. Like he did a pretty decent job on Brandon Ingram outside of like one crossover. I thought he looked really aggressive attacking closeouts. The shooting is going to be the huge issue with him. We'll see if he can shoot well. If he does, he's an NBA rotation wing, which is super valuable because he probably had the most advanced perimeter defensive instincts in the entire class. And then getting someone like Jawan Evans, 
who I do think down the road is going to be like an ideal backup NBA lead guard, just someone who was probably the most high volume pick and roll player coming out of college. He has so much experience in that. Um, if he can shoot off the dribble relatively well, I think he'll be a player. It's just at his size. He's, he's not going to be able to uh, man a starting spot in my opinion, just because I mean, the league, the lead guards in the league have gotten way too big as far as what I didn't like. I mean, the entire draft, like pre-draft rankings and stuff in the, 13 to 30 range was all kind of guys I, I wasn't crazy about the Kings. You know, we've talked about them trading back for Justin Jackson and Harry Giles. I just think if you're, you're the Kings and you don't really have any established talent and you need to like take dice rolls on the upside plays, I would have taken like monk at, at 10 uh, Mitchell at 10, just take the best player there instead of trading back. And I get in a normal draft, like the value is probably historically on the side of trading back to 15 and 20, from 10, but I do in this class, I thought that there was kind of a drop off after that. So that, that's something that stuck out the Tyler Lydon thing. You already noted, uh, Jesus, that guy looked so bad in summer league. He was like <laughs> the one, he was I like just, the one rookie. Yeah. Okay. I just noticed when he went on the court and watched like one game and was like, who is this guy? And then I was like, Oh no, he's a first round pick. Like, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was not good. Um, <laughs> he was the run rookie. It was tough to like pick out rookie disappointments. Cause I thought the class overall represented themselves pretty well, especially compared to the sophomores who I thought like most of the guys were disappointing. Yeah. But that was the one guy that you looked at and was like, is this guy really an NBA player? Cause he looks like he's playing small forward. And he's definitely has a power forward skill and he just didn't look like physically there. So that, that was something that really stuck out. It's, it's hard to really criticize too many of these second round picks, especially just because at this point in the draft, it's kind of dice rolls. I'm, I'm with you. And the Ivan Rapp thing from Memphis, I never really saw it with him. This is someone who got like Chris Boss comparisons, not this past season, but the, his his freshman year at Cal. Never saw that. I just think he's your, your kind of standard four or five tweener who doesn't do skill skill wise, doesn't do enough at either spot. I would have definitely preferred Jonah Bolden there. I thought his just upside was considerably higher. So that stuck out. Yeah, that's that's tough for my team who uh, has no future <laughs> right now. Anyway, hey, Cole, thanks so much for coming on. You're a great repository of information. Uh, tell people where they can uh, read more about your stuff and hear your opinions uh, all year long. Sure. Um, I write for the step back pretty consistently. I've taken a little bit of time off from there, but I'll start firing up draft content again for them probably early September, getting back into this 2018 class, which in my opinion is really awesome. A lot of people, a lot of this 2017 class, I think 2018 actually has higher upside guys at the top, it just has a lot of big men and the whole narrative of, you know, the modern NBA playing down big men. I don't, I think that's a little overblown. The NBA has a demand for actually good bigs. And this class has like six guys that could have potentially gone as the number one big, in this previous class. So that's something to look for. Um, if you want to check out this actual redraft that we're discussing is on my personal website, capstrategist.com. So you can chime in and tell me why I'm wrong. Uh, we also do a what's on draft podcast um, through the almighty ball and podcast network. So you can check that out. We will probably have a 2018 preview up sometime next week. If you want to check that out. So uh, be on the lookout. Yeah. You guys go check that out. Cole. Great talking to you. Uh, thanks again for coming on. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks to Cole for coming on. You can find him on Twitter at Cole Zwicker, Z-W-I-C-K-E-R. And his podcast is the What's On Draft podcast. If you want to support our podcast, you can do that at patreon.com slash breakfast. Thanks again to all of you who have already done that. It is much appreciated. 
You can follow me on Twitter at FastBreakBreak. Like us on Facebook. You guys are the best. Thanks for listening. And remember, breakfast is the most important thing. Yeah, never apologize for being TNG. Fast break, break, man. You understand?